0: Hey, this is Disability After Dark, the podcast that shines a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The opinions, language, and discussion expressed in Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Do you want to keep the conversation lit around sex and disability? Want to spark a conversation about something you heard on the show? Feel like shining some light on an issue that I haven't even thought of? You can do all that and get the inside scoop on what happens in my brain after dark by following me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. And be sure to use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark all over your social media so we can shine light on sex and disability together. My name's Andrew Gerza and I will be your scintillating sexy host as we light up the conversation on sex and disability like never before. Right here on Disability After Dark. Hey there, thanks for joining me for the second episode of Disability After Dark. I'm really excited that you clicked on this episode and that you want to hear more about sex and disability and that you want to go deeper into the conversations around sex and disability. You want to go deep into the conversation, deeper than ever before. I think it's such an important topic and I really want to go deep with you. So let's go deep together and shine some light on sex and disability. I was racking my brain as to what I wanted to talk about on this second episode. I really wasn't sure where I wanted to take it what exactly I wanted to say and which topic I could bring to you, my audience, and have you relate to the most. So I thought the most important thing to do, and the the best thing to do to start off, was to talk about how we consider disability when we talk about sex and disability, if we talk about this topic at all in popular culture. And so I wanted to look at some of the mythology around sex and disability um, and, and kind of break down one major myth that we have when it comes to sex and disability. And I'm excited to Explore this with you in this episode today. In part of the work I do as a disability awareness consultant, I travel around North America and the world, hopefully, the world. Somebody hired me to come out of North America, but I travel around the world as a disability awareness consultant and I talk about the lived experience of disability. Now, typically, I do this in university campuses, I do this in community groups, I do this over Skype sometimes. I do it basically to anybody who will listen to me. I'm really not. Shy about who I have this conversation with because I believe that sexuality and disability is something we should all have access to. So I do this for everybody, and I, I I love to have these conversations. And typically in my in my lectures, when I lecture or present, I feel really weird calling it a lecture because then I feel like I'm a professor, which I'm not, which is strange for me. So when I when I present my materials, I typically do so. Um, I talk about my life, tell my story, kind of as relax as I can, kind of get the audience to know who I am and then midway through my discussion around sex and disability, which is a mixture of kind of my schooling around what disability is and my lived experience of what sex is for me, especially as a queer man. So in the middle of my conversation, I will stop and ask the audience what they think they know about sex and disability. Now, this is probably my favorite part of the lecture. Probably my favorite part of my ev- every lecture that I've ever done is asking this question because... The minute those words leave my mouth, there's like dead silence in the room. There's like crickets in the room going, cricket, cricket, cricket. Everybody's looking around, panic-stricken, looking around each other, trying to figure out which which person is going to be the lucky person to answer my question and which person is going to be the one to say the offensive thing to me and ask the offensive question. So I love sitting there and watching people kind of navigate that in their own minds and figure out how to make that how to finally ask that question and one of the things that I get asked all the time during my lecture series is do you have a sex drive? Do you have a sex drive? Now I want to make clear that there are individuals living with disabilities who would consider themselves asexual and aromantic and don't have romantic or, or sexual drives. That is, a, that is a, an accepted orientation And that is a very valid orientation. I don't want to take anything away from those individuals. But I want to to kind of follow up on the fact that the majority of people start these conversations with the belief that I, as a disabled person, do not have a sex drive at all. That I do not want to engage in sexuality in any way. And for the most part, for many of us living with disabilities out there today, that is one of the biggest, largest, wrongest myths that you could ever... I can't pronounce that word, I said myth. That is one of the biggest, largest, wrongest myths out there today when it comes to sex and disability, and it's always a little bit disheartening to hear that as one of the first things people ask. Whenever I hear this question, in any context, it always makes me pause a minute. I always chuckle a little bit, and I think, I wonder what they think I think about when I think about sex. Or do they really honestly assume that I don't think about sex, or any sexual interaction, or any sexual activity at all? Do they think that I've just kind of being living with a disability, I all of a sudden came out of the womb and was like, yep, no sex for me. That's never gonna happen. So I'm letting that go. I I always wonder what they consider and why they think that I haven't thought about it. Why they think it's something that I haven't engaged with or wanted to engage with. And oftentimes when they ask me this question in lectures, they ask it so nonchalantly like I like the answer should definitely be, oh no, I don't have a sex, I have one bit, not at all. So I just find it curious that, that, it's, that, it, that that's how it's posed to me, so, so matter-of-factly, and it's just interesting that way. I think part of the reason why it's so matter-of-factly posed is because people are afraid to engage with sex and disability. They're afraid to really tell the truth and tell how they feel about it, or even consider the fact that they may find somebody with a disability attractive, and they may find somebody with a disability sexy, and that scares them, and it's easier for them to distance themselves from disability because they can't handle the fact that one day, for whatever reason, they might themselves become disabled. That's terrifying. It's almost like they consider disability without it. And they don't even do this consciously, let me be clear. When people are asking me these questions around sex and disability, it's never from a place of, of like, obtuse prejudice. Never, ever from that place. It's usually... From a subversive, quiet place where they never thought they'd go there, but the more they ask the question, the more the prejudice makes itself known and the ableism comes out. They don't even realize they're doing it. But as they ask the question, it starts to bubble over and they can't they can't even realize that they're asking it, and then there it is. They realize that yep, this is what they really thought. They just don't have any concept of what disability is and what it really means, and they don't they're afraid to consider the fact that they might one day become disabled. That's just too scary to even fathom. So by considering that I don't have a sex drive and turning this mythology into truth in some small way, it comforts them to know that, oh, well, he's not like me. I am normal and I have a sex drive. It bleeds into this idea of normalcy again and this idea of normalcy that is really, really prevalent when it comes to discussions around disability. If you don't know already or you haven't gathered, I fully one thousand million percent reject the idea of normalcy. Uh, I just don't like it. I don't like the way that it's used or posed when we discuss disability, so it's not something that I ascribe to. I think the idea of trying to fit into a normal, um, a normal, a quote, normal existence, even with a disability is problematic. And when I was doing research for this, 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 second episode today, I was looking online for, I typed in basically mythology, sex, and disability, just to see what came up in the Google machine, to really see what other people were thinking, and so I um, I found that a lot of people use the phrase, just like everybody else, that they would say things like, oh, we as disabled people have sex just like everybody else, and I was just so taken aback by that because that's just not necessarily the truth. And this idea that you want to connect me even as a disabled person, you want to connect me just like everybody else. It's so problematic because in so many ways I'm not like everybody else. I'm not like anybody else. And so it, I think it's really damaging to kind of uh, kind of assume that we are like everybody else. And I think we need to start as sexual disabled people, in my case queer, a queer crip, we need to embrace the fact that we're not like everybody else. And that, that takes a lot of work to do that, um, to embrace that reality. But I think that when we hear other disabled people saying that they want to be like everybody else, it breaks my heart because you have to learn, I think, in many ways that you aren't like everybody else. And that's okay, too. Back to our central question, though, around uh, the mythology of sex drive and disability and how I feel when somebody says to me, oh, Andrew, you must not have a sex drive. To be honest with you, when I hear that from somebody, when I, when it's prof- especially when it's in a non-professional context, when I'm up there lecturing, I can deflect and, and I can say something really pithy and quick-witted and I can let it roll off my back a lot faster because... It's in a context where they're genuinely asking and want to know. When it comes to my sex life, with other, in my case with other men, as I'm a queer man with other men, um, then they assume this and they'll say this to me openly about my sex life and then ask this question. It hurts me more than I can even tell you to know that they think that I'm not sexual. And here's why it bothers me so much that, pe- that people in my community when I'm trying to engage in sex, have these assumptions. Because I work fucking hard to put myself in situations and to make myself be seen in these communities and in this, in this particular way. And I work really, really hard to be positively sexualized as a person with disabilities and to sexualize myself so that I can get what I want out of a... and have a healthy and fun and provocative sex life as a person with disabilities. I work damn hard to make sure that I can get out to the club or that I, you know, my dick's all over the internet. If you type in my name on certain sites, you'll get to see more of me than I think you ever wanted. That graphic that you've seen on the podcast, the podcast art is, there's a not safe for work version, and if you Google my name, you'll see the real thing somewhere. But my point is that I work really hard to put myself out there, in these situations, as a queer crippled man, to be sexualized. And so when someone thinks I don't have a drive, it hurts a lot. If I'm really honest, I think about sex all the time, and this is not because I'm hypersexual. There's another myth going around there when we talk about sex and disability, where people seem to think that people with disabilities are hypersexual beings who constantly think about sex. No, 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 that is not what I'm talking about. I think about sex all the time because it's something that I'm so rarely afforded the ability to access. I would say that in some ways my sex drive is higher and my desire for sex and my desire to be touched and my desire to be held and my desire to be sucked and fucked and whatever other kind of way can be done as a queer disabled man, it's higher only because of the constant denial and the constant inability to access that part of myself that's the that's the truth or my truth anyway is that I that I love sex so much and I love being so sexual and being so overt about it because I need to spend time showing people that I can do that and that that's part of who I am and that 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 I want and I often will be very very overt with my uh, with my intentions with men that I like or people that I'm attracted to, I'm very very upfront and very very real about it because I want to immediately dispel the myth that that I am not sexual. I need I need them to see with their own two eyes that I can get down and talk about this and talk about cocks and blowjobs and fucking and I can I can have that conversation and I can talk about my dick and I can you know I need them to see that that's the reality and I. That that's something that I am fully capable of, of enjoying and engaging with. I mean, and that in and of itself can be exhausting, having to constantly be proving to people that you are sexually viable and you do have these feelings. And even though you have a disability, it doesn't change the fact that you want to have sex, um, and that you want it, and that you like I was saying, you do sometimes want it more intensely than others do because of the systemic oppression that you faced dealing with trying to access it or a lack of access to the sex that you want. What I'm learning about myself and what I'm learning about disability and my connection with sexuality, the more and more I talk about what I'm looking for and what I, what I want sexually is that I am much more in tune with a desire and a craving and a, a drive toward intimacy with somebody. than than actually the physical act of sex provides. I don't, for me personally, it's not so much about the physical act of sex or blowjob or handjob or fucking or any of that stuff. It's about connecting with the person in a way that is pleasurable, whether it's through sex or just, sometimes cuddling can be super hot. You know, it doesn't have to be, let's get naked and fuck. I mean, that's nice. And I, love, I love being naked. I love all that stuff but I think we need to look at what we're actually craving and for me, I crave intimacy and connection over sex 100 out of 100 times. I want intimacy over sex. In preparation for this episode, I really wanted to pose the question to other disabled people and I wanted to know how they navigated the question, do you have a sex drive in their own lives and what it meant for them and how it affected them as people with disabilities. And I got some really unique answers that I wanted to share with you guys and I wanted to illuminate, I got a a response from a YouTuber that I've kind of become followers of. Their name is Tegan Morris, and they live in New Zealand. And they answered this to to my question. How do you feel when someone asks you, do you have a sex drive? And they said this. Sometimes these types of assumptions are amusing because I think... Oh, how little they know, and how funny that they assume I'm innocent when I'm intellectually and emotionally way more open than them to all the sexy, kinky stuff in the world. But other times, it can be really diminishing and disheartening because I acknowledge that sex and sexual appeal is such a powerful factor in a relationship. That's only an excerpt of what she said, but I agree with her. I think sometimes when people say, oh, Andrew, do you have a sex drive? I just smile and think, if only you knew. And I just laugh because I I know how dirty and kind of raucous I can be when it comes to sex. Especially, I mean, the dirtiness and the the delightfulness of how I operate is kind of how I flirt. So I think it's really funny when, when people don't, when people assume I don't have a sex drive because I just laugh about how obtuse I am about it. But I would also agree with her in that when people assume that when, when people assume I don't have a sex drive, what if sex wasn't what I was looking for? What if I really wanted to simply just connect with the person? And it makes me think about how much weight we apply to sex and how much weight we apply to the act of sex as something that is supposed to mean way more than it probably actually does and way more than it probably actually should mean. And I just think that it... We need to start looking at, you know, other ways to categorize intimacy and what that means. And I think disability provides a great way for us to look at that and look at how much weight we put on certain things. I found a quick excerpt from a book talking about the psychological and social impact of disability. And the author of one chapter was talking about their relationship to sex drive as a disabled woman. And I found it really interesting what she talks about she talked about how she didn't really have much of a sex drive throughout her life and then she acquired her disability and then once she had acquired her disability her desire for sex um and sexual companionship went up two or threefold than what it normally had done before she was much more having a desire to be sexually active moreover she was saying that she wasn't There were points in her experience of disability where she wasn't so much keen for sex, but she was afraid that due to her disability, she would be abandoned by any partner that she was romantic with. So she thought that if she could use sex to get the partner to stay, then she wouldn't be so alone. And I think that's really interesting how that's something that I have thought when I think about some of the sexual encounters that I have had and put myself into with people, I was like, alright, well, if I fuck you, you'll stay. And if we mess around and, I, and you know, if, I, if this works out, you'll stay with me. And I won't have to be worried about being alone because you'll stay. And so it wasn't so much a sex drive. Like I said earlier, it was a craving and a cravenness for intimacy and desire and the, the desire to feel wanted by somebody else. That's what I think drives a lot of us so much more than sex, and I think the desire to feel wanted as a disabled person is so often overlooked. I also find it rather interesting that when I look at this stuff and I type in sex drive and disability into Google and I'm going through to see if I can find other kind of kernels to draw from, I'm noticing that a lot of the discussion is still happening within the health field, and we're still only talking about sex drive from a acquired disability model. So the the idea that um, you had a healthy sex drive prior to an accident, and then you acquired your disability, and now your sex drive is diminished, and a lot of the the stuff is talking about how difficult that can be, which I believe is true, but there fails to be a lot of mention for individuals who have grown up with disability from the time they were young, from the time they were, you know, they were born with disabilities. I was born with cerebral palsy from day one. And so I, my understanding of sensual drive and sex drive and the desire for sex, I think, is a lot more, I don't want to say a lot more or less of anything, but it's different than I think the way it's being described when we discuss acquired disabilities. It's much more... Again, I don't want to use the word more because that sounds, that sounds like I'm comparing. But it is it is definitely different, I believe. And I, I've never experienced acquired disabilities. I can't compare or contrast that at all, nor would I want to take that away. But I think, I do believe there are some stark differences. And we should be talking about individuals with congenital disabilities to discuss this as well. I'll be quite honest with you. What's most concerning for me with regards to the question... Do you have a sex drive? And the mythology around it is that we're still asking this, this question and we're still perpetuating this myth in 2016 today. We're asking it in lecture halls. And we're asking it nonchalantly. And we're asking it under the assumptive basis that, yeah, people with disabilities don't have sex. And, and that's something that I'm curious about. Or they don't even feel the need to be sexual. Now, like I said at the top, some people with disabilities don't have these, these romantic or sexual feelings. That's fine. But to assume that is the standard of disability is really, really scary and really, really problematic. And I think we need to start looking at why we are still asking this question today. Sometimes my response to the question, do you have a sex drive, is to smile and go, let me show you, and then I'll, you know, play with the idea that I do have a sex drive and it's really, really prominent right now. Let me show you. Um, I think it's fun to kind of shock people when they ask you that, instead of giving them the answer they expect, which is you to be like, Oh no, of course not. You can play with the idea that yeah, I do have a sex drive, yeah, I do want to get down with you and yeah, I do want to, to connect with you in that way. Let me show you how that works. I think there's something kind of fun and playful and so sometimes when I'm in when I'm in lectures or when I'm playing around with that, I do make those connections, and I do openly flirt with the audience a little bit to show them that yeah, those feelings are there, they're very real, and this is a real disabled person really and truly defying everything you thought you knew, and I think that's why it's important that we talk about these mythologies, and we talk about this reality, and we talk about it quite openly, so that we can show the non-disabled community that these things are happening to us. And again. I don't believe that we are just like everybody else. I don't think that's fair, and I don't think that's true. And I think when disabled people say that, in a way they are denying themselves the experience of disability. But I think it's important that we remind people that we, our sex drives are very real and very, very, very available if people hit the right note. And for me, anyway, much like the author that I spoke about earlier a few minutes ago, I think that my sex drive is, is directly connected to my desire to connect. It has never been for me about just the sex. It's been about using the sex or using the act of sex to connect with somebody and show them the possibilities within disability and what my disability can do. And, and to, I, I've used sex to validate myself with another person and validate the experiences I'm having. As a disabled man, and it's important for me as a sexual person to realize that it, sometimes it's not about sex for me. It's about connection. And if I have to use the sex to sometimes get that connection or to find that connection, I'm going to do that. And it's so it is, in many ways, it's a it's a emotional survival tactic, uh, sex drive. And so I look at it in a very different way than just for sex. I mean, it's fun to get your rocks off, but I find it much more satisfying to physically connect with somebody with all my disabilities and connect them to that experience. That's much more fun than just fucking. So I think um, when people ask me, do I have a sex drive? My answer is yes. But what I would say is more prominent for me is my drive for intimacy and my drive for a connection with the person and my drive to introduce them to the queer crip experience that, I mean, there's a huge drive for that. I love that, and I'll talk about that in a later episode. But yeah, that's definitely there. So I, I have much more of a drive for connection and uh, togetherness and, and what, in whatever form that takes than I do necessarily just a simple basic sex drive. And it's definitely always been fiercely connected to my disability, and I think it's important that we, as disabled people and as queer cripples and as cripples, uh, we recognize that our, everything we do with regards to sex is impacted by our disability, and it, our disability is definitely a part of all those experiences, and it's important that we remember that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Copyright notice. The Disability After Dark podcast, including title, graphic, content, interview recordings, and title music are property of Andrew Gerza. This podcast cannot be reproduced without permission from the owner.